0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: As you try to figure out how to do all the things that God has talked about, how can I obtain a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees? If you were with us a few weeks back, he said, unless your righteousness, your rightness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, well, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Well, how can I have that kind of righteousness? He says, ask.
0: We have been looking at a few verses in which Jesus instructs us not to judge, not to cast our pearls before swine, and for us to seek, ask, and knock. Today Pastor Sam completes his message, The Golden Rule, and fleshes out what Jesus really meant for us in these verses. We begin in chapter 7 of the book of Matthew.
1: We tend to think of sin as sort of passive, and you know, well, there's opportunity to sin. Well, do not want to do that? No. Sin's aggressive. All you got to do is read the first chapters of Genesis. to really come to that conclusion, he says, hey, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Sin pursues us. So it's not passive. It's active and aggressive. And, and though it's, he's personifying it there, you got to see it as an active force. And uh, then the bad part is we're just tempted to do it. Somebody asked me once, why do you think I struggle with sin so much? And I just said, well, can I be honest? Yeah. So I think you like it. Like what? You like the sin. And they were like blown away. No way! I don't like the sin. Well, I know before I was a Christian, I loved to sin. I never called it sin, I called it a whole bunch of other things partying and hanging out with my buddies and this and that. But God calls it sin. He calls drunkenness sin. He calls lying sin. He, he calls fornication sin. He calls so many things that other people just say, hey, that's just, hey, that's Chico. That's life. You know, God says it's sin. And, and, and so if that's where you're at, if that's what you're going through, you need to know God is saying that separates you from him. Sin has consequence. It devastates. It it destroys relationships. So if we see someone caught in sin, the sins, you know, gotten a hold of them, it says go to them and restore them. See, the goal of going is always restoration. So if if you're going just to tell them what they're doing wrong, that's not a goal of restoration. And and if your spirit isn't meek and humble in it. It's going to be very difficult to be used by God to restore people and rescue them. Now, here's just one sort of side note, and it's important. Even if you go with the right spirit and with the right message and everything you do is exactly as God wants you to do, that's not an absolute guarantee that the person's going to receive it and repent. Sometimes I've been put in a position, and being a pastor, I get stuck in this position more than, than you'd think, and or more than you'd want, and sometimes I'm put in a position where I have to confront somebody, and, and when that happens, you need to know, I'm not comfortable with it. It doesn't come natural to me. I know there are some people that does. And man, you really don't want them as your pastor. Because for me, it's like I I grieve and I I, I you know weep before the Lord. I'm like, oh Lord, I don't want to deal with this. I, I know what Moses felt like when he said, couldn't you just get someone else? Send let Bud talk to him, Lord. And, and and he's like, No, you need to talk to him. Why? Why me? You know, and but but we all feel that way, or most of us do. Like I say, some people just like confrontation. They like to get in your face. They like to tell you what you're doing wrong. I don't like it. I love to talk about the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God. But if we don't tell people that God's word says that sin, God's word says that sin. Never forget when I was uh, just about a year before I came to the Lord, I had this friend that, that wrote me this long letter and it was so bizarre. It was filled with scripture that had never happened to me before. Somebody who just wrote me all this stuff and told me all these things about the way I was living and the things I was doing that, that were just an abomination to God. And I was like, who's this guy think he is? How, you, you, don't judge me, man. And, and, and that's exactly how people respond. But my friend was just trying to tell me, your life's a mess. You're going the wrong way. This isn't going to work out for you. Turn around. Make it right. And after I came to Christ, man, I realized that was the one guy out of all the people I knew who really cared for me, who really loved me, was willing to put our relationship on the line to reach out to me and say, hey, there's a better life for you. There's a better life for Pam. What are you doing? And I want to encourage you that if someone does come to you. And they're meek, and they're humble, and they're telling you, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Receive that. Thank God for them. Praise God for them. Don't say, don't judge me. Say, man, is that really true? Is, is that really in me? Is that really what I'm doing? I, I found that lots of people are just ignorant of Scripture, even people that go to church. And, and, and so the the thing is, is it's like I don't assume that people automatically know the word when I find out they're doing something that's ungodly or unbiblical or unethical. I just, you know, I, I figure, well maybe they don't know. So then you go meekly and humbly and say, hey, anybody ever read you this? And you just kind of read it to them, you know. I'll share with you how my buddy Leo from San Diego down in Mission Valley was living with me at one point with his three kids and his wife and and he wasn't working because he was waiting for some check to come in or something and tickets to Hawaii. He had this whole delusional thing going and and but he was a real Christian and and I loved him and looked up to him and and at one point I I I went and got counsel and and you know the counselor at the church gave me these scriptures if a man doesn't work he shouldn't eat and and my buddy he looked like John Candy he's big I mean he, he was eating and he was I was buying the food and, and and I had to go to him. But listen, nothing was ever harder than to go to someone that I loved so much and respected so greatly and say, You're in sin. This isn't right what you're doing. You're supposed to work, you're supposed to provide for your family. And and so my point in sharing that and if he were here, he'd say, Hey, give your own testimony, but but uh <laughs> we we do this back and forth, see? I, I tell his stories and he tells mine. But um but the the point is is it's, it's not comfortable it's not easy but the goal is is right and righteous it's restoration it's health it's vibrancy it's it's relational so he says remove the plank then you'll see clearly and you'll be able to help your brother then he tells us not to give what's holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them underfoot and turn and tear you in pieces now You would think after he says don't judge one another that this just, man, it's so opposite of what he was just saying. But what he's saying is there will be discernment necessary. There will be discretion necessary. And there are some people that you will come across at some point that, man, taking what's holy and taking what's precious and, and trying to share it with them, it's just like casting the holy thing at their feet and and casting, as he says, your pearls before swine or giving what's holy to the dogs. And I went through, and in the New Testament, dogs, they're only mentioned in a good context, possibly good, one time. That's when the dogs come and lick this guy Lazarus sores. I guess that's a good thing. I'm sure, you know, it doesn't say they were chewing, and so it must not have been so bad. But but you got to know that dogs in Scripture, well, they're they're negative. He's not talking about little lap dogs or your little pets. No, he's talking about scavengers, ravenous dogs, and uh, and dogs. As you know, they got some very disgusting greeting habits, and you just watch them. And you're like, Phew, do not lick me ever again, and and they have very disgusting eating habits as well so much so that that in 2 Peter 2:22 2, he says as the dog returns to his vomit and the sow to her wallowing in the mire well let me let me read you the, the rest of it. I want to get it exactly as he says it but I think I got it pretty accurate he he's saying these guys the, the, you know it's telling you dogs and sows they're they're not really a good thing but he says it happened to them Uh, According to the proverb, a a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. He's talking about those who've been exposed to the truth of god's word they've made some kind of affirmation of it or you know acknowledgement of it and then they end up absolutely hostile to it and you go and you try to share and they're just like you tell me that once more and you know and there's threats and there's warnings and there's all this stuff what's he saying He's saying, then then don't put yourself in the position where they're going to trample the good, the precious, the, 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 the valuable, the, the sanctified word of God and, and work of God. They're going to trample it under feet and they're going to turn and attack you as a result. Now, here's our problem. We really have a difficult time figuring out, well, who are the dogs and hogs, you see, We have enough trouble figuring out if these people are living, you know, necessarily the way God intends. And and so he actually tells us in a moment, we're going to get there, but not yet. He tells us in a moment how to discern, how to tell that there is actually a way to, to have God's wisdom and God's discernment in these kinds of areas. You know, of course, that pigs were unclean to the Jews. So when he says, you know, stay away from the hogs, the swine, and lest they, you know, you don't cast your pearls at their feet. Why? They're not going to be into pearls. They're going to think it's beans. They're going to try to eat it, and when they find out it isn't, they don't realize it's valuable and precious. And he's saying there really will be, tragically, people like that 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 you give them the most precious thing you know and and, and the most wonderful thing there is and, and they just look at it with disgust and and they look at you with disgust but but as i look through scripture i try to figure out okay who did Jesus deal with that was in this category? It certainly wasn't the prostitutes or the the tax collectors or all of those you know, those people that we would think, man, here's the grimy people. No. It says that those people were drawn into Jesus and, and he reached out to them. So much so that the religious establishment, they had problems with that. They said, man, they murmured saying, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. What they didn't understand is if if and when he ate with them, he was still eating with sinners because they had discovered, well, other people's sin, but they couldn't discern their own. And so... Jesus, and, and I've considered this, I'm trying to, trying, to, I was trying to make sense of it, and I thought, okay, Judas, he, he, he had to be a dog or a hog. He's swine. Jesus said himself, you know, he was the son of perdition, but how did Jesus deal with Judas? Oh, he, he loved him, and he taught him, and he enabled him, and empowered him, and sent him out, and, and he reached out to him. He did all he could to reconcile him. Did he know that Judas wouldn't be reconciled? I think so. But he still didn't treat him as an enemy. And, and so I think, man, if even Judas isn't treated that way, who, who is treated that way? Well, I found somebody, Herod Antipas. He, he was one of the four Herods that we read about in our New Testament. And he was the one that put John the Baptist to death had him beheaded. And when Jesus was brought in on one of his many trials before Herod, Herod was all excited. He's like, all right. This is the guy that does the tricks, that the, the miracles, the signs. Maybe he'll do something for me. And, and, and we find that Herod is the one person in Scripture to whom Jesus has absolutely nothing to say. I think that... that you know, if, if we only find that once, that tells us there's not going to be a whole lot of this, but but it does exist. Now, Jesus, conversely, when he dealt with scribes and Pharisees, religious hypocrites, he just said, you're hypocrites, you're whitewashed tombs. He, he called them what they were, but I think even then his goal, his his heart was their reconciliation, that they needed to see themselves as God saw them, so that they could get right. Well, how can we ever discern? How can we ever tell the difference? He tells us in verse 7. And and again, this, this scripture is often pulled out of its context so that it not only isn't applied to the things that are just previous to it, but to the rest of what's in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, listen, as you try to figure out how to do all the things that God has talked about, How can I obtain a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees? If you were with us a few weeks back, he said, unless your righteousness, your rightness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, well, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Well, how can I have that kind of righteousness? He says, ask. It's a gift. And if you're unsure, seek and you'll find knock and it will be open to you. What about some of the other things he had to say? How can I overcome my old sin nature. Remember how high he raised the bar? He said, you've heard it has been said not to murder. I say, if you have hatred, you've murdered in your heart. You've heard it has been said not to commit adultery. I say, if you've lusted, you've, you've committed adultery in your heart. How can I get over my, my thought life? How can I get over the things in my heart? Ask. Ask, seek, and knock. If you need wisdom it's available. If you need power, it's available. But but he says, ask, seek, and knock. How can I learn to love my enemies? Well, when you realize that you were an enemy of God and he loved you and he forgave you everything, how can you not love your enemies? But But our real question isn't Okay, philosophically, I get that, but, but how can, how can I love them? I mean, really love them. He's not talking about feelings and emotions. He's talking about a decision to do the best by them, to do good to them, to return good for evil. And so, how can I overcome? How can I love my enemies? How can I live without hypocrisy? He tells us the answer to this and and all the rest. How do I lay treasure up in heaven? How does this work? How do I stop worrying? How do I stop judging? Ask, he says. It's present tense. It's a present imperative. He's actually commanding us and telling us, let this be an ongoing experience. Ask and keep asking and it will be given. What will? Whatever we need. Whatever we need. Back in Genesis 22 when Abraham was told to sacrifice his son and, and they're going up the mountain and, and you know Isaac sees that they've got the wood and they've got the fire and he says, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And well... He pronounces this prophecy. Hey, God will provide Himself a lamb for the burnt offering. God will provide. It's Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Jireh or Yahweh Yireh, more probably accurately. And and, and so, but here's the thing. He's saying God will provide, and that's what he's saying here. What's the need? Lord, I, I gotta find a way to to get past these habits. I gotta find a way to to forgive. I gotta find a way to stop being self righteous or judgmental or self condemning. Ask, and He says it'll be given. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be open to you. And, and again, some have misunderstood and made this sort of like the master's master card. Like anything you want, just ask for it, and it's yours. No. First John says, if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. And if he hears, he says, we know we have the petition we've asked of him, but it's got to be according to his will. Think back. Has there ever been a time, and I'm sure there has, where you've asked for something and you really thought it was right, you really thought it was good, and the Lord just said, there's no way. And now you can look back and say, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you. That would have been, oh, that would have been horrible. Some of you gals are, are looking at the guy you married and you're thinking about the guy you wanted to marry and you were saying, oh Lord, just let... And you're thinking, "Woo, you see that other guy now and you're thinking, oh Lord, thank you for not answering that prayer. Thank you for giving me this guy. Some of you are thinking, why would you give me this guy? But you asked. But, but, but he's saying ask and, and, he, and he's commanding us to do it and, he, and he's telling us to do it on an ongoing basis. I need wisdom from above. I need discernment from God. I need compassion from him. I need to see people the way he sees them. I need his tender heart for the hurting and the wounded. And none of those things come natural to me, nor do they you. So he's saying, ask and whatever we need, seek and we'll find it. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone, and I love this, everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. You see, it's sort of an increase in intensity. You just ask, and he says, all right, here it is. But if you're seeking, you're doing more, you're pursuing. Sometimes I ask, and, and I'm just not getting the answer. So I seek him. I seek his word. I, I seek his wisdom. And, and then I knock once I know, Lord, I know what you want me to do, and I just knock until he answers and it happens. Or what man is there among you? He asked the question here in verse 9. If he asked his son for bread, would give him a stone. Or if he asked for fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, being evil... Know how to give good things to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask them? Jesus really deals with three issues in these three verses. Well, really all of them tied together in verse 11. He says, If you then being evil, he acknowledges that all men are inherently evil. Now, he's not saying all men can't do good or evil men can't do good. He already made it clear even unbelievers tax collectors hey even the mafia cares for their own but what he's saying is is that yeah you're evil and you can do good how much more the argument is from the lesser to the greater and we've seen this in this sermon many times if you being evil know how to give good things to your children if if you being evil your son comes and says dad i'm hungry Well, chew on this rock, I don't have any bread, or here's a snake, but I wanted fish. And No, he says, we know how to give good things to our children. And he says, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Your Father, who is in heaven. Do you know, before Jesus taught us to pray our Father, that word that's translated Father, Abba, It was never used by people in Scripture of God. Why? It's personal. It's intimate. And every title for God, because they are titles, they distance God from us. But Abba isn't a title. No, that's literally Daddy, Father, Abba, Abba. And so what he's saying is, we who are sinful humans, we know how to do good. He's not denying that we're able to do good. And he's certainly not saying we're not sinful. He's saying you are sinful, but you can do good, especially to your own. But how much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give good things, give all necessary things to those who ask? So whatever we need, it's there. Therefore, he concludes, and I conclude, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law In the prophets, we know it is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think that's how the King James said it. I remember it best that way. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's actually very positive. While Confucius and others said similar things in a negative way, Jesus says it in a very powerful way. You know how you want to be treated you want people to be honest with you you want people to be loving to you you want to you want people to be gracious to you whatever would be right and what you'd receive hey that's what he wants you to give and so whatever you want men to do Do that to them. For this is the law and the prophets. What's he saying? That's what the law was trying to show us. And that's what the prophets were trying to tell us. Is that, that well, as Jesus said, love God with all, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Is that the gospel? Will that get us to heaven? No. But if you're a Christian, that's how you may win others and convince others that God loves them and you love them. The misunderstanding is, hey, if I'm doing good, if I'm doing my best, that somehow that's acceptable. No, if you being evil, and if you're evil, then that means you're sinful. And if you're sinful, well, all have sinned and the wages of sin is death. That means separation and the gift of God is everlasting life. That means reconciliation. But you've got to open your heart. you got to ask him in. you got to confess your sin.
0: Many of the things that Jesus is asking of us are not easy. They do not come naturally to us. In Isaiah 58, we are told that those who desire to do the will of the Lord will be guided continually and provided for. I believe Jesus is reiterating this promise when he tells us to ask, seek, and knock, and then the answers and the means to do his will will be given to us.